Good evening everyone. Charlotte here from Enriching Environments for our Top Tip Tuesday Masterclass uh, today which is Tuesday the 18th of October. I'm going to let you come on for a few moments. Hello, hi everyone who's joining. There's people jumping on. Let's do a couple of waves while I can at the beginning. Hi, hi, hi. Thank you so much for joining. And this evening we are going to be talking about babies, specifically um, what we know about um, what we know universally about babies, what we know about all babies, what we know about what every baby needs, every human needs from the earliest days, weeks, or months of life. Um, and uh, the way we're going to be approaching that is then how we can support our babies in a Montessori way, in alignment with these um, these needs of every characteristics of every single baby, regardless of where they're from in the world, regardless of their race, regardless of their culture, their heritage. We're going to look at what every single baby needs um, and what the characteristics, what the tendencies are for every human baby. And then what we can do is draw out when we know what every baby needs when they're born, then we can draw out uh, what's needed to support them in an environment that meets um, meets them where they are in following the, and unfolding their natural development. So let's begin. Um, those of you who are regulars will notice my giant plant behind me. I was looking through um, some uh, Insta Lives from when I first started two and a half years ago, and I noticed I had this beautiful plant behind me. Um, so I was like, oh, that plant isn't around anymore because my cat ate it, so I went and got myself a new plant. But then I realized that this plant is absolutely massive, so excuse the huge plant behind me. It's looking a lot bigger on camera than I thought it would when I bought it in the shop. But um, yeah, I will be probably trying a different size for next week, but yeah, I hope, um, hope it isn't too much of a distraction because it appears to be sort of growing out of my head. Um, so let's talk about Montessori babies. Before we go any further, let's set the scene, let's set our intentions. So if everyone would like to take a deep breath in and exhale, maybe a couple of shoulder rolls and think about what your intention is for our session today. What would you like to, how would you like to feel when you come away? What would you like to, what information would you like to come away with? What wisdom would you like to come away with? So set that intention now. Um, what you, uh, what would you, how would you like to feel? What would you like to know at the end of this session? And then we can dive straight in. So, um, as I said, the way that we are going to approach um, Montessori Babies, the title of this evening's Insta Live, this evening's Masterclass, is we are going to look at, oh, we're going to really, really zoom out and we're going to look at um, what every baby needs, what every human baby needs. And um, to do that, we're going to use something called the human tendencies. And the human tendencies are something that were identified by Dr. Montessori, Dr. Maria Montessori, one of Italy's first doctors, um, who uh, 
qualified at the end of the um, 19th century uh, amidst um, a lot of resistance from uh, people around her, from the establishment, from the men who were studying with her. And she noticed that all babies um, uh, have what she termed these human tendencies. And those are um, essentially needs of every baby, regardless, as I say, of the socioeconomic group, race, culture, um, country of origin, they all have these characteristics. And there's between eight and 12 of these human tendencies, depending on which book you, you, you look in. But um, what we're really gonna look at tonight is just two of these human tendencies. And the human tendencies are things like the human need um, to be curious, the human need for exploration, the human need for movement, the human need for communication, the human need for um, imitation, for uh, perfection, for self-actualization, for repetition. Um, so all of these human tendencies, um, as I say, are universal. And when we look at that from the context of babies, and as I said, we're just going to take two this evening, and we're going to take the human tendency for um, curiosity and exploration, and we're going to take the human tendency for communication. So these, um, every single baby in the world, as you will know, if you have your own children, or you work in a classroom, or you have family members who have babies, every single baby, when they're born, they start to communicate from the earliest days and weeks. Um, a really, really sweet thing you can do is if um, with even a very young baby, a tiny baby, a couple of days or weeks old, you can do um, an imitation game, a copycat game. So you can stick out your tongue or blink your eyes and wait and the baby will respond. The baby will imitate what you're doing, will answer, they will communicate even when they're tiny and they can't communicate verbally, of course. Um, so this human tendency for communication and for imitation is, um, is part of what makes us human. That is um, something innate woven into us, into our DNA. And once we realize this in the context of babies, this is really exciting because we know that we can immerse our child in, in rich language, in song, in poetry, in as many, if you're lucky enough to live in a multilingual household or multilingual nation, we can immerse our children in as many languages as, um, as we want to. We can give them rich language and poetry and song and dance and all different ways of looking at language, um, knowing that they need to communicate. Their innate drive, their desire is to, communicate, is to communicate. And so they have the thirst for this knowledge and it's an unconscious thirst for this knowledge. So whatever information we give them in terms of communication, they're gonna absorb that and absorb that and absorb that. So as parents of a baby, what we can do, which is really exciting, is we can buy books with beautiful language. We can buy um, fun rhyming books. Um, one of my particular favorites, if uh, English is a, is a language you speak at home, is by uh, Linley Dodd. And she wrote a series called Slinky Malinky, which is about a cat, and Harry McClary, which is about a dog. And these books are about cats and dogs, but cats and dogs doing real cats and dogs things. They're not speaking or anything like that. They're not make-believe, they're stories about real animals doing real things and they're rhyming and the language is really beautiful there's long adjectives and long verbs and lots of really really descriptive hi everyone who's joining lots of really lovely descriptive language 
So, um, as parents, yes, think about that our children have a desire, an innate desire, an innate drive, unconscious drive to communicate. So we offer as many ways as possible to communicate. So before they can speak, then obviously their nonverbal communication is really, really important. So the way that they're communicating is through their body language. Um, obviously when we have a newborn, one of the only ways that they can communicate until they're identifying sounds is by crying. Um, but it is communication and it can mean, you know, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm hungry, um, I'm tired, uh, I'm thirsty, all of those things. But it's all communication and every human baby needs, will communicate, has this innate drive. Hi Jenny, has this innate drive to communicate. So that's the first one of the human tendencies that um, I wanted to discuss. And uh, for everyone who's joined, what we're looking at um, this evening is we're looking at babies from the perspective of the human tendencies and the human tendencies are um, universal uh, characteristics of all children um, around the world all human babies when they're born they have these characteristics and there's a list of between 8 to 12 that were identified by Dr Montessori depends on which list you're looking at but amongst these this evening what we're looking at is the human tendency to communicate and the human tendency for um, exploration, for curiosity. And that's particularly relevant for babies, as we were just saying, because um, babies have an innate, hi Dana, have an innate drive to communicate from the earliest, earliest um, hours and days and weeks of life. Um, now moving into movement, moving into movement. Um, uh, another one of the human tendencies we're going to look at this evening is the human tendency for exploration, for curiosity, for movement. So one of the other things that you um, will have noticed if you've been in the presence, if you're lucky enough to be in the presence of, uh, of tiny babies and young children, is that all young children need to move and our babies from the tiniest baby from a couple of days old um, if they're given freedom to move then they will move they will wriggle they will make a plan um, and uh, this can uh, there's so many stories I didn't I wasn't lucky enough to have this experience with my children but I know that um, uh, a lot of friends there's a lot of anecdotal um, uh, uh, stories about how when a baby's born, if it's placed on the mother's belly, then the baby will make its way up um, to the breast to feed for the first time, um, because there is this innate drive for for um, for movement, this human tendency. So babies know how to move from the earliest um, days and uh, hours and days and and weeks, and if we can give them this environment in which they can move. And what's really, really exciting for us to know as parents is that movement is the beginning of all cognition. So the more that we can allow them to move, the more that we can facilitate our homes in a way that promote movement rather than containment, then the more that they're learning. Um, one of Dr. Montessori's uh, uh, most famous quotes is, the hand is the pathway to the brain. And what she meant by that is that a child needs to be able to do things in a concrete way, real things in a real concrete way in order to learn. There's no um, abstract learning in the early years. They have to actually do and feel and experience um, in order to learn, in order to, to build neural pathways. So um, what that means for your babies um, is allowing them freedom of movement. And let me give you a tiny little um, 
uh, indicator of what that looks like. So from uh, your uh, newborn, from your newborn or any uh, any age of baby up to when your baby's walking. What's gonna be really, really beneficial is for your baby to have a movement area, a permanent movement area on the floor with um, a low mirror and a rail on the wall. So the low mirror is so baby can see themselves in the mirror. Because they're not very mobile when they're little, if they are um, lying in front of their, on their tummy or on their back, in front of a mirror, next to a mirror, they're gonna be able to look in the mirror and see the whole of the room behind them. They're gonna see, um, oh, uh, hi, I've just had a question about play, which I can come back to. Um, Maverick, thank you for your question. I'll come back to that about play. Um, so what, you want, what we want with a baby is to, for them to be able to see all of the room around them, all of the room around them, and, that, and that's what the mirror allows them to do. And the most exciting thing is when they're facing the mirror and they're looking in it, then they can see people coming behind them. And one of the greatest joys is when um, little baby has older siblings or when mum or dad come in the room, they'll be able to see um, whoever's approaching coming from behind them and they will get so excited and wriggle their little bodies. And one of my most fond memories is of um, Harry as a tiny baby, him looking in the mirror and concentrating. Then Olivia came into his view in the mirror, um, who's his older sister. She's two, just over two years older than him. And his little body would quiver with excitement. He would squeal and tremble. His whole body would tremble with excitement when he saw her coming. Um, and just those moments that I saw for the two of them were absolutely the most um, golden in terms of the value of a floor mirror in terms of all the other developmental benefits and physical benefits but the emotional side of it the emotional connection um, that that uh, that that builds and lays a framework for um, having a floor mirror is something that is just so magical it's really difficult to explain so the the we're well, going back to the movement areas so babies they need to be able to move and and in western society our instinct is to put them in a, a cot a crib a moses basket you know keep them in the car seat contain them and actually what we're saying is completely the opposite we are saying find a a, a, a place in the room either the side of the room um near a near a window so it can bright if you've got option to have that through near a window or a door um, a terrace door so you can get some light coming in and um and what we do is we um, have babies on um on sheepskins um medical sheepskin i know you can also get vegan sheepskins but they're not vegan sheep but they're not ve but they're not sheepskins if you know what i mean but um you can get a synthetic alternative if um the idea of having a uh, skin from an animal is an issue you can get really really high quality vegan skins now as well so that's worth worth noting because I know that's really important to a lot of people as well so the benefits of a child um, a baby lying or anyone lying on a medical sheepskin is improved sleep um, it's uh, there have been longitudinal studies in terms of eczema and asthma um, really really supports with um, eczema and um, asthma skin conditions longer sleep uh, deeper sleep in premature um, babies, then it um, helps babies gain more weight faster when they're sleeping on a sheepskin. And the reason for this is the body is um, completely cushioned. The muscles, the bones, the whole body is completely cushioned. 
and um, of course babies spend a lot of time asleep so you want them to be completely comfortable and the sheepskin is really safe because it's completely breathable the um, air because of the nature of the texture of it um, air can pass through the the fleece of the of the sheepskin so it's a really safe surface for a baby to sleep on as well um, so uh, we're talking about movement aren't we I've digressed um, so your floor area for your baby it is um, on the floor movement um, a mirror on the wall a low level mirror and then a bar just above and the reason you need the bar is that baby one day when they're starting to sit when they're getting to that stage where they're starting to crawl, they're starting to sit, they're gonna look above their head and one day they're gonna see that rail and they're gonna to want to pull up on it. And what's really, really amazing, and I remember it with both of my children, is the moment when they take that first leap and they hold onto that bar and they pull up and they stand up for themselves in the first for the first time. And they're really, really wobbly, of course, and they wobble from side to side, but it's absolutely fine because when they bump back down, they're bumping down on the sheepskin, on the rug, on the mattress that you've got there. So they're really, really safe when they bump back down. But what's really powerful is that they're looking in the mirror as well. So they are seeing themselves. That the, the really powerful reason to have the mirror is that they're getting an idea of proprioception, their body in space, their spatial awareness. They're looking at the baby in the mirror that they don't notice themselves. They're looking at the baby in the mirror and they're seeing this body, these arms and these legs move. They're seeing this facial expression. They're seeing all of this and they're getting a sense of um, spatial awareness, proprioception in those moments. So it's really, really important, this floor mirror. And um, it, is such a point of interest for them because of course whenever light falls on a mirror they, it, it um, gives interesting reflections interesting shadows in different parts of the room they're studying their reflection um, and it's really uh, and it, you can get the long the long mirrors or the squares from IKEA they're really really expensive uh, inexpensive the IKEA ones I think you can get stick-on ones now that, um, that go on the wall and this little movement area. I mean, I had mine set up for Olivia and Harry, um, I think only when I moved to this apartment 18 months ago. So Harry was, uh, yeah, four when I, when I dismantled it, um, when I didn't move it when we moved to this place. So it's something that they will use all throughout babyhood and toddlerhood. It's not something that they use for six months and then they leave because um, what you do is then once they're sitting and they're pulling up on they're pulling up to this bar and they're sitting and then they're standing is you put a mirror above the bar as well and then they have this beautiful experience of holding onto the bar pulling up and then they see the baby in the mirror above the bar as well and again those are those type of moments when our children realize something for themselves of their own intrinsic motivation of from their own efforts that is just so mind-blowing um, to observe as a parent and to see um, that this is true intrinsic motivation because once they've pulled up and seen the baby in the mirror in the in the mirror above the rail they're going to keep wanting to do that over and over again and it's not because we're saying well done or you're a clever girl or you're a clever boy it's because they want to do it they've achieved something for themselves and they're curious Remember that human tendency for curiosity? They've pulled up and they want to see what happens again. If I pull up and look again, is that baby still going to be there? So all of these, I mean, from 
From the perspective of what I know as a Montessori educator and working with babies and, and toddlers and young children for over a decade, I'd say that the, the floor mirror, the movement area for babies with the fixed floor mirror, which is a big mirror, not the small like round one that you get on those baby gyms, a big mirror along the a long thin one along the floor that baby can look at is one is the most important um is most important addition to your household and inexpensive as well really really inexpensive i mean if you're here in the uae it's i think those ikea stick-on ones are like 49 49 dirham for a pack of four of those stick-on mirrors it's really really inexpensive and you can put a rug down on the floor um and the sheepskin on top and that is a way for for baby to um, hi Roxanne to entertain themselves to um, learn concentration for themselves to look at their body in space to look at the the shapes and the shadows behind them when they're looking directly into the mirror and they notice everything behind them um, and for particularly and Roxanne is expecting um, her third baby uh, imminently um, Roxanne we're talking about the 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 floor bed and the and the sorry the the movement area and the floor mirror so for siblings to see uh, for baby to see siblings approaching in the mirror behind is so so powerful so our baby is not separate to the rest of the family our baby is at the heart of the family and um, uh, in this uh, space that they're in they have um, a sense of who they are and their importance within the family because they're at the centre of the family. And also a question might be that, oh, will baby fall asleep on the sheepskin or will they not sleep if they're in the centre of the room and all things like that, but they honestly do. They get so used to it. And um, it's so, so important for um, us to, particularly with siblings and obviously transition to a new baby can be really, really hard for siblings. And the work there is to support um, the older siblings with respecting baby's space and um, being gentle and only touching the baby when they've washed their hands and things like that. But most of all, it's so that they see that the baby isn't being kept separate from them, that they are, this baby is part of them as well. It's really, really important to build that really, really strong lifelong bond. So, um, what else do you want to say about Montessori babies? So, uh, the two human tendencies that we've covered this evening, every single baby around the world, every human baby has um, lots and lots of human tendencies, but the one we focused on this evening are this need for this need to explore, the need for movement, this curiosity. Every baby needs to move. So how can we facilitate that? By having a space um, dedicated to them, a little corner or the side of the room with this floor mirror where they can um, look and explore at their own pace. And of course a baby starts to roll after two months and then they'll start to wiggle and crawl, commando crawl, all of those things in the different stages. But everything, hi everyone who's joining, but everything happens really, really gradually. So you're not going to be really surprised one day. You're going to see these beautiful stages and the more freedom of movement we give our children, the more that they understand how deeply we trust them as well. There's an energetic um, there's an energetic exchange that happens that the more freedom we give our child is that they understand, they have a deep sense that we trust them um, and that in terms of our connection, our bond with them is something which is uh, invaluable, immeasurable.
Um, so that was the human tendency you spoke about, the need to explore and move. So don't contain your babies. Only They only need to be in a car seat when they're in the car. They don't need to be in a car seat at any other time. Um, when they're at home, they will fall asleep on their movement area. They can, um, and also really great reason to have the sheepskin, and this is what I did with Olivia and Harry, is that when they did fall asleep on their movement area, um, the times that that happened, then you can pick up the sheepskin and move baby um, to their bed or to your bed if you're co-sleeping, whatever's working. Hi, Monica. Um, whatever's working uh, for you in terms of sleeping arrangements. But the sheepskin is the point of reference so that they can feel comfortable and relaxed on there. So you just move sheepskin. And also people are coming around to see baby. Um, pass baby, if you're into passing baby. I wasn't at all. I kept baby in the carrier the whole time and I didn't pass them. But if you do want to pass babies or you're in a family where you have to pass the baby around, otherwise it's going to be really frowned upon, then pass baby on the sheepskin. Um, babies are really, really sensitive to being touched by other people, to smells, to sounds, all of these things. So if um, someone else wants to hold baby in the early you know, days and, and weeks and months, then always pass on the sheepskin. So baby's going to have this point of reference, the smell of the sheepskin, the feel of the sheepskin, the sensation, the texture, so they're still going to feel um, calm and relaxed. And then they can be put down in their bed or put down in, um, in the movement area. Um, and then the other human tendency we spoke about is the need to communicate, the imitation. So we want to immerse our children with rich language from the beginning. Um, beautiful songs, beautiful poetry. If you're lucky enough to be multilingual, then make sure everyone in the household speaks their own language, speaks their best language. Um, uh, traditional um, folk stories from your own culture, that's really, really important. Um, and a, a celebration of, of who you are, um, uh, of, of who you are as a, as a culture. I know that um, a lot of people are really English focused and, and um, American or, or US, uh, US, sorry, or English focused. But honestly, what the most, one of the most important things is to honor your cultural heritage. It's really, really important. So seek out books in your mother tongue, in your native tongue. Um, uh, ask your grandparents for traditional folk stories from your culture that you can pass on to your children. So they have this really deep sense of, of culture and um, learning to communicate them in the language of your culture and the language of your cultural heritage is honestly something which is so, so precious and so, so important. Um, so communication is really, really important. As I said right at the beginning, if you want to interact with a newborn baby and have a little bit of fun in this give and take, um, is uh, stick out your tongue and then put it back in again and then just wait for them to copy, wait for them to imitate. All babies love to imitate and love to copy. It's something natural that we all do. Um, so you can blink your eyes, you can stick your pop your tongue out and stick it back in again. Um, this is, these are the human tendencies, so every single child in the world has these, um, has these characteristics. So now I'm going to take a sip and I'm going to go back and read the questions. I can see that Diana has also written a question and I'm going to go back to one of these. Um, hi Maverick, um, I don't know if that's your surname or your first name. But um, Maverick's question was, Hi, thank you for taking the session and enlightening us. I'd like to ask a question. At what age the child generally moves to parallel play from solo play? Thank you.
Um, you know, that's a really, really good question. Um, and I think you're probably talking about part and stages of play, if I remember rightly, from my um, diploma and the child development uh, modules that I did. So, um, parallel play is something, it's, it's basically play isn't as much of a linear process as um, we were kind of led to believe, or was previously believed, let's put it like that. Um, they, there are definitely characteristics um, according to each age group, but parallel play, for example, um, lasts for a long time, throughout early childhood, and, and children will engage in different types of play in different types of situation. So example, you know, with um, children they don't know very well for the first time in the playground, they're probably, even if they're five years old, like my son, he's five and a half, he's gonna engage in parallel play until he gets to know children. Um, for example, but he would engage with, um, you know, role play and really complex play with his sister, for example, or with friends that he re knows really well from school. When answered your question from um, uh, from what age the child generally moves um, to parallel play from solo play, I guess you're meaning in the in the in the really really infant, the really baby baby stage. Um, generally speaking. Children want to be, um, or start to seek to be interested and alongside other children around the age of 18 months. And um, that doesn't mean that they want to play with them. And I think you really understand the distinction because you've said parallel play. Parallel play is when children want to play sort of alongside other children in the same area as other children, as I say, kind of joining into the playground, but not wanting to engage um, in other children's games and not being able to take turns and do role play and do more complex play as a much older child can. So um, roughly around the age, developmentally speaking, roughly around the age of about 18 months is when children will want to be, will seek to be more alongside others in their play. And then of course, as they get older, it, um, they want more collaborative, they want more collaborative play. But I would say roughly around 18 months, depending on the temperament of the child. But also, as I said at the beginning, this isn't linear. So um, the stages of play will really, really change according to the day, according to the season, and according to the, it's very, um, what's the word? It's very situational, the different types of play as well. I hope that helps. And then I had another question, oops, from da, 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 Diana, hi, oh goodness, I've um, now lost your question, where did it go? Oh, okay, um, Diana says, such valuable information, thank you. Is the sheepskin recent research, or is it used in those days of Dr. Montessori? So the research on um, sheepskin, now the last time I looked on that, I believe um, it was Australia, uh, Australia and New Zealand, there was research done on uh, Niku babies um, with regarding sheepskin, but that probably was when I was doing my diploma, which was quite a while ago. So I would probably have a look and see what more up-to-date research has been done on sheepskin. Um, on sheepskins and prem babies. But what I do know for sure 
is that um, medical sheepskins have been used for a long time in um, with particularly the elderly and um, elderly who are bed bound for spending a lot of time in bed because sheepskins really really support um, the muscles so prevent bed sores and so just from that that makes sense obviously elderly people who are um, who are bed bound they can't move about much they can't get the circulation going they're spending a lot of time in bed a lot of time resting and of course uh, a similar scenario for newborn babies. They're spending a lot of time um, lying down, they're spending a lot of time sleeping. You know, was it uh, between 18 and 20 and 20 hours of the day in the, fir in, in the first six weeks? Um, something like that. Um, and so our babies need the support for their muscles and their joints and their bones when they're sleeping to make them feel really, really rested and um, comfortable uh, because the, the shift from um, utero to uh, the world is a really really big is a really really big shift and um, I love this idea of the fourth trimester that the only reason that, that human babies are the only uh, mammals that are grown when they're sorry that are born when they're not fully developed so we need to think of the first three months uh, as the fourth trimester they only come out when they do at nine months they're only born when they do at nine months is that so that they can be born naturally you know in in the majority of cases so the ba the human baby is completely and utterly dependent and there's not many other mammals who um, can't walk or are completely immobile when they're born for such a long period of time but you think babies you know until they can crawl effectively to get their needs met to crawl to get what they need you know it's between six and, and 12 months isn't it um before they can crawl so it's uh human babies aren't yet fully um grown aren't aren't developed when they come out as it were when they're born so we need to provide them with um a really really nurturing um first couple of uh, first couple of months this fourth trimester so they can really uh develop in the way that they need to so that they can get used to the world in 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 Montessori we call it a diminished environment so a really quiet calm environment as much as possible and um just a few uh simple things around them um and uh yeah not too much stuff at all as i said just the floor mirror and the sheepskin and being held by their primary caregivers by mum by dad who grandparents whoever whoever there is in the community um that's what's really really important so if we can think of the sheepskin as being this um point of reference and this extra sort of protector as they come into the world and of course a sheepskin is um is is mammalian it's from a mammal as well so again that gives this extra sense of, uh, of comfort. Um, I hope that answers your question. Um, are there any more questions? Um, uh, uh, Maverick said, uh, yes, Diana said, um, uh, sheepskin has been used forever throughout history. Yeah, exactly. My question, if I can word it better, is that something um, Dr. Montessori advocated for? So um, there, I'd recommend a book called Understanding the Human Being by um, Dr. Silvana Montanaro. And she developed the um, infant um, program uh, under the stewardship of Dr. Montessori. Um, so it is called uh, Understanding the Human Being. And that on that program is when they spoke about sheepskins. So that must have been, 
I know I don't want to give you a date I don't know exactly when that book was written but um, that's when uh, that was mentioned and that became part of the Montessori philosophy and yes you're absolutely right it has been they've been used um, for uh, for centuries um, and um, no not even centuries thousands of years um, Maverick said thank you where can we learn about the I think you mean human tendencies so if you google um, human tendencies Dr Montessori um, that will tell you hopefully everything you need to know and so Everett what's really really exciting is once we know the human tendencies between 8 and 12 these human tendencies that are universal then that can inform every single choice that we make with what we buy for our children how we prepare our homes all of those things because they're universal and what's really beautiful is it's going to be culturally relevant as well it's not saying you need to do this or you need to do that it's okay my um, baby has a need to explore. And what does that look like in my culture? What does that look like in my home? What does that look like in my community? My baby has a need to communicate. Um, and we speak four languages in my home. Okay, what does that look like? What can we facilitate for her or him in that way? Um, so the human tendencies uh, allow us to really zoom out and see what is the path of natural human development. That's what we want to do. And that's what Montessori is all about, following the path of the natural development of the child. It's not about making brainy children or this children or whatever. It's really following the child's natural development. So when we know what every single child needs, then that can inform all of our other choices. Um, I don't know if there's any more questions. No, I don't think there are. Oh, thank you so much. Lots of people who have joined. Um, unless there's any other questions, shall we close with um, just a little moment and thinking back to the intention that you set at the beginning of our session. Take a deep breath in and trusting yourself as your child's first teacher, honoring your sacredness, honoring your wisdom as your child's first teacher. And when we know what the natural path of development of our child is, then we know exactly what to do. And we all have this wisdom within us. And that's more than anything what I love about Dr. Montessori's work is she said, this is what I've noticed, A, B, C, D, all of the amazing things she noticed and she wrote huge numbers of books. But most of all, her gift to us was I noticed this and you can notice it too. This isn't a pedagogy based on her theories. This is from her observation as a doctor, trained, uh, trained as a medical doctor. This, these are my observations, she said, and you can see that too in your child. So that means that all of us become the teacher, all of us become um, the guide for our children. All of us have that wisdom within us and all Dr. Montessori did is taught us how to observe and um, just reinforce to us that we have this wisdom, that we have this knowledge. So um, I would like you to place your hands on your heart, take a big inhale in, and know you have all that you need inside of you. Thank you so much for joining me. And next week we're going to be doing another topic which has escaped my mind and I don't have my diary to me. I can't 
remember I, it's a requested topic next week um, and I can't remember what it was thank you so much for joining me sending you lots of love um, Jenny I think you have just started your uh, term four down there in Cape Town I hope your weather's starting to get really beautiful for your Cape Town springtime and I look forward to seeing you all next week thank you so much for joining bye bye